Okay, well, hello everyone. Welcome to Drink Full and Descend, a fanatical analysis of Twin Peaks. Hey, Cameron, how are you today? Pretty good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm um, looking forward to jumping into episode 12 here and to get the breakdown on what we've just seen last night, mm-hmm. right? Quickly becoming everyone's favorite, I think. From yeah, the there's a lot of uh, uh, reaction to this episode yeah. online. Everybody t- is talking about it, but not quite in the same way everybody was talking about episode 8. No. Um, well, maybe some people, right? Yeah. But there, some people certainly seem to be complaining about this one. Um, which I don't really want to do. I don't want to complain. I don't know if that's that interesting, but mm-hmm. I've been thinking about how um, it does seem like the episode plays with frustration and, and mm-hmm. doing something to us, like frustrating our desire for information or, or what have you. Do you feel that way? Yeah, that makes sense to interpret it that way. I think there's a couple things going on here between the meta-analysis of these guys knowing they're making a show that their fans are picking apart (laughs) um, to the natural progression of a narrative to have a lull in it before a climax (laughs) uh, to just introducing so many different characters over the course of one season Yeah, you know that it makes sense that maybe we would have to, to hit a little bit of a lull. But I only say lull. Um, mm. I don't mean that in character development or in the facts that we're learning about the narrative. I guess I just mean that in comparison to some of the other more extravagant, if you will, scenes sure. we've seen recently. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel so much to me like a lull as uh, the pacing was always really slow. Yeah. Um, and it really did create for me a sense of kind of foreboding or dread but in what I thought was an interesting way, like they were playing with something aesthetically more along the lines of frustration. But mm-hmm. so I was I kept thinking like something is going to happen or we're going to find out more. And they kept kind of um, frustrating that desire. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up I finished the episode and I felt really dissettled or uneasy or unmoored or something by it. And I mm-hmm. think that was probably intended. Yeah, I think it's yeah. definitely intended. And uh, I think that it's, these are masters of the craft right now. And so if mm-hmm. we're experiencing something from this, I, I believe that it is intentional, you know. Indeed. So we're going to break this episode apart. So we start um, at the Hotel Mayfair, right? This is mm-hmm. um, where we see a really funny scene right away of um, – Gordon and Albert and Tammy all sitting in their hotel room, right? We right. think their hotel room. Well, I don't think it's their hotel room. Apparently, it's in the hotel because we start with the exterior shot of the hotel. Exactly. But we definitely want to talk about this room. Yeah. So the, fir- the first thing we see is that, that Cole is, like, scanning the room with this, like, special tech device he has. Right. Apparently, I think that is uh, looking for bugs. Or that whatever, would make right? sense to me. I did see this device once before when he was sketching in his sketchbook. It was sitting next to his book. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a taser or something like that. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. And, um, you know, as I was saying, I think that he also had in that earlier episode when he talks about Tammy being bugged or wearing a wire, but I didn't go back and check. Right. But I think yeah. that's what it's for. I think it's like checking for listening devices. Yeah, and in that earlier episode, of course, Tammy says, you're the one that asked me to wear the yeah, bugs. Right. So he yeah. does know about that already. Yeah, indeed. Um, but they're also, they're drinking some wine. Um, mm-hmm. It is mentioned that this is wine from the plane that Cole stocks from yeah, his personal Bordeaux, cellar. Presumably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we presume it's a Bordeaux. <laughs> yeah, um, but a couple things about the room that caught our eye. Yeah, the curtains, the red curtains on red both curtains sides. Red curtains in a room. Yeah, like how often are you hanging out in a room with red curtains? Very reminiscent of the um, lodge or waiting room, red mm-hmm. room, right? Um, and yeah, odd for ordinary reality. Yeah, especially um, a hotel that you would stumble across in South Dakota. Right, and also the furniture and the books all over the place, right? So I started thinking, is this a weird hotel that has, like, a library? It felt like a library, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, 
So I, I don't know yeah. if they have an installation near here, and then maybe they've got some top-secret agent man room set up at an uh, unidentified hotel. Probably not. I, I don't know. But then also, <laughs> I mean, um, if they've been staying in this hotel, and we've seen other scenes in Gordon's hotel room, for example, where they've talked about some potentially sensitive information. Right. So, like, why wouldn't they just be meeting there? I don't think we've seen this room before. Certainly the red curtains are invoking um, that sort of lodge space feeling mm-hmm. um, and the way Diane enters through the curtains ultimately. Very strange room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the breakdown of what's happening in the narrative in this room starts with just them sitting around. Uh, Albert kind of makes fun of Cole a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, saying ignore the strange man because right. of his statement. That no, he you're going to tell her. Yeah, because yeah. he says something about his yeah. wine cellar and Indeed. Cole mishears him. Um, yeah. But when he says, no, you're going to tell her, what I believe he's referring to is this um, uh, admitting to Tammy that she's basically accepted as part of the Blue Rose team, right? Right. So they, you know, Gordon turns his hearing aid up and they're going to whisper and they've checked for bugs. But I thought that the information, I guess just in comparison to other things where they haven't seemed to take these precautions, I was a little wondering about that, right? I mean, I guess it's confidential when Albert says, oh, there was Project Blue Book and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it didn't quite seem to me like, super secret in this conversation well it is it is the first time that we're getting the information that blue rose is totally connected to blue book i suppose that's true and he also does mention that blue rose was something that uh somebody associated with a project blue book case uh whispered Mm -hmm. or said as she was dying yeah that was new information that blue rose the phrase came from apparently something this woman uttered mm-hmm. like her last words or something like that right and yeah. we presume anyway that that was some case that albert and cole were personally involved in mm-hmm. so they might know the person that died in that scenario um right. but nevertheless we get this moment where a lot of the stuff from secret history of twin peaks is coming out in the show and mm. they're basically admitting yes the blue rose cases are stemming from the um Basically, uh, investigation into paranormal yeah, activity the paranormal, slash alien right? I mean, UFOs. Albert right? even says they closed down Project Blue Book and calls it a big, massive cover-up. Or calls whatever, it a cover-up, right? yep. Um, and yeah, I do want to talk about secret history uh, here a little bit. Yeah, that's a good spot. Um, because Tammy Preston is the agent who goes through that dossier in the right. secret history. Right, right. Um, and that is dated, right? We're told in that book that she got this uh, dossier in August. They found it at a crime scene in July mm-hmm. of 2016. And it seems to me, thinking it through, um, there's some weirdness here because they don't mention any of that. They, they've never mentioned the fact that she went through this dossier. Yeah. But it still seems to me that the most coherent thing would be that that's already happened um, and that these events are after that in late September. Yeah, I could dig that. You, you do see when they invite her on the team, she kind of smiles and has this excited kind of glee that she mm-hmm. knows what this team is. Right. And so she's at least got some pre-exposure to what this all means. Yeah, and I'm thinking almost more the other way around. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to me for her to be getting that uh, dossier after the events we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. Because if you've read The Secret History... Uh, in particular, she starts out as very sort of skeptical about all of this stuff mm-hmm. um, and right. lacking in knowledge about these figures and, and so on, right? So it wouldn't really make any sense to me that she'd be going through the dossier after what we see here, but it is a little weird and ill-fitting because they don't ever mention it to have right. the thought that she'd done it before this. Right. And yeah. I kind of think that if you're going to invite somebody onto your Blue Rose team, you probably mm-hmm. need to put them through something like that before you do. Yeah, and I think that fits. You know? There are some indications in the secret history that 
her being given this dossier was like some kind of a test by Cole or something like that. Right. So I, I think it fits okay. Yeah. I just think it's odd that um, there's been no explicit mention in the show of that dossier, of whatever the crime scene was where they found that dossier. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's a question that I think remains open even having read The Secret History. Mm-hmm. Where'd that dossier come from? Yeah. Right? Like, a crime scene? Okay. What crime scene? Mm-hmm. Who left it there? Mm-hmm. Was it planted there? Right? And so on and so forth. Right? So. Yeah, a lot of questions. And mm-hmm. the dossier itself, uh, what I found so fascinating about Secret History Twin Peaks is that it answers tons of questions that you might have had. Yeah. But it poses so many more. Yeah. You know, In so classic it just, style. It here, makes the right? mystery even thicker soup. Right. Which is know? my full expectation for where we're going to end up right. with all of this. Right. Yeah. So lots of stuff answered. Further men's mysteries also, you know, opened along the way. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that kind of move personally. So I'm Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Really great. So um, another thing Albert admits in this is um, that since this 1970, when um, Project Blue Book was closed and Project uh, Blue Rose kind of takes over these mm-hmm. mysterious cases, um, that he mentions, you know, that the person died and, you know, they got the phrase from that person that died that was associated with this case. Yeah. Um, and also says... Um, at that point, it suggested that answers could not be reached except by this alternate path that they've been going down ever since. So yeah. It kind of alludes a little bit to the fact that now they are actually incorporating metaphysical methods into <laughs> their detective Thinking work. Thinking about Coop throwing rocks exactly. bottles and shit like that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And the mention of Jeffries here, this is another question yep. that kind of um, came up in my mind. We get the claim that Jeffries basically put the uh, task force together with Albert and uh, Chet Desmond. We get confirmation that he is, in fact, a real person, if anyone was still worried about that. Right. Um, and Dale Cooper, which, if you recall in Fire Walk With Me, when Philip Jeffrey shows up, uh, Gordon says something to Cooper like, this is the long-lost Philip Jeffries. You may have heard about him in the Academy. Yeah, which uh, so, hinted to me that, yeah, he's been missing since Coop was first learning the role. Right. Now we have the claim, though, that it seems like Jeffries recruited Coop or picked Coop, so... Uh, I thought there well, was some it, question but there. We, we about, don't know where that is in time. Is it possible that Jeffries picked Cooper after that scene? I suppose. But that would kind of crunch mm. a lot of things together timeline-wise. Yeah, I don't know. And I also get the feeling that Cooper was already on board with the Blue Rose stuff before that scene in Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It might be possible that Jeffries had picked Cooper without having met Cooper. Okay. I guess, because, mm-hmm. you know, here when they're talking to Tammy, they mention things like, what is it about her being like... Oh, George Washington High Valedictorian or whatever, yeah. high school, yeah. Um, so, yeah, not just her perfect record at Quantico, but her high school yeah. honor roll, so that they were yeah. looking at her since then, or they maybe, looked back that right? far? And maybe they'd been looking at Dale Cooper um, in a similar kind of way. I guess that's possible. Yeah, I just do, thought it was do good odd. in school, kids, because yeah. look how it could the pay FBI off The FBI is watching, yeah. <laughs> which is creepy as fuck, actually. Yeah, really <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we get the understanding um, that no new, quote-unquote, blood has been added to their team in many years. Mm, because, and I say that because it's kind of a reference that keeps recurring yeah, through we the get show. A reference to blood later, we'll come back to, right? And, um, um, but uh, is saying that Tammy is going to be that new blood. And so mm-hmm. Albert basically asked Tammy to be part of the team. As he also points out, he's the only one who hasn't mysteriously disappeared. Right. right? Besides Gort. Yeah. And Tammy, her excitement and her level of thrill on this is, uh, is very positive. Mm-hmm. Where I would think there might be a little <laughs> bit of a reservation. Yeah, everyone's disappeared except for Albert. And oh, and um, Sam Stanley does not get a mention here, but we talked about this a little bit. That right, Secret History mentions what happens to him after Firewalk with Me. Right? Yeah, it says he becomes an alcoholic or something, right? Yeah, I think shut in alcoholic, something like that. That it was. I remember reading it in Secret History, being like, oh, geez, uh, Sam Stanley. 
couldn't yeah. really hang with but what he yeah, did. Yeah, I think it also fits okay because in Fire Walk With Me, he doesn't know what the Blue Rose is. Right. He asks Chet Desmond about it, and uh, Chet says, I can't tell you about that. So that Stan Stanley never got fully into the fold here, I think fits. Yeah, yeah. that does fit. So we go through this. Uh, Tammy's excited. She's part of the team, and we see like a kind of a new team developing at this moment. Um, Cole is kind of on his phone and he says, you know what? Diane's going to be here soon. Mm -hmm. And very shortly after which she pops in smoking through a red curtain from who knows where. And the way that she enters is very, I don't know, weird. Yeah. I'll say weird. Yeah. Um, through the curtains and yeah, where is she coming from? And again, what is going on with this room? Yeah, it's exactly. It's a very weird What room. is this, a sacred FBI meeting place or something? Mm -hmm. But the, the red curtains and the dream logic kind of thing going on. Yeah, but in the real world, presumably. So, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and which I think is also another thing that's recurring throughout this episode mm -hmm. um, that we'll get to talk about a little bit more. But basically, um, so Albert also um, looks over to Diane and says, hey, Diane, we want to deputize you uh, temporarily. Mm -hmm. And Cole says that uh, we need her. Mm -hmm. um, of course, this could also be part of a setup to kind of continue tracking her text messages that we've been seeing. Right. Of course, we know that they're on to her. Something's going on with Diane. We mm -hmm. still don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. At least we've been hesitant to jump to any conclusions here. Right. Others have jumped to conclusions. But something's going on with Diane and they know something's going on and they want to keep an eye on her and they're monitoring her text messages. Right. We know that already from previous episodes. Yeah. So now they have the offer to deputize her. I think it could be sort of two things at once. Right. Like on the one hand, yeah, they really maybe do want some of her insights about Cooper and all of that past history and so on and so forth. But they also want to keep an, an eye on her. Yeah, and this is kind of pointing out how the Bureau works and mm -hmm. this kind of like duality uh, and this kind of espionage type of thinking. Um, a couple other things about this scene. I love how when the scene starts, they do a cheers to the Bureau. Cheers to the FBI. To the FBI. Like Diane did yep. sarcastically and earlier. Sarcastically. Yeah. But uh, after they tell Tammy that she's on the team, Cole do then does another cheers, this time to Tammy and the Blue Rose. Yeah. So they change what they're cheersing to. So it makes you think, well... Where is the loyalty? Is it to the Bureau? Or, wait, even within the Bureau, there's these factions, mm, mm -hmm. and your loyalty is to your small circle of friends, and then they go through all that, and then they invite Diane into the room. I also thought it was mm -hmm. significant that they were all drinking a fine wine that was from Cole's personal mm -hmm. collection. But she wanted the, her uh, vodka. Yeah, and she Diane comes in. She wants her vodka because that's mm -hmm. what she drinks. She likes it on the rocks. And she likes it on the rocks. Albert mm -hmm. says, oh, well, you're in luck because the Dakotas are still in the <laughs> Ice Age. Yeah. Uh, classic Albert. We're in a really great moment there. Um, but Diane also says, you know, what's in it for me? She's mm -hmm. not. She doesn't have that kind of loyalty and excitement that Tammy has. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, they're not offering her exactly the same position. This is a deputizing her temporarily. Right. Um, and she says, you know, what's in it for me? And Albert responds, you know, a little bit of cash mm -hmm. and maybe a chance to find out what happened with your friend Cooper. Ah, and maybe now we're getting ready. You know, we're getting closer to the mm. real deal of why she's even on the scene here. Maybe. And there's a little bit of a pause and she puts her fingers up yeah. in this very gesture. specific way and mm -hmm. very intentional. And she says, let's rock. Right. And the music here is reminiscent of things in Fire Walk With Me, right? Yeah, that I totally heard that right away. Creepy, yep. um... There's like this whooshing or like whooshing a, an affected tone. horn, like, yeah. you know, the, right. that we get several things like that in this episode. Yeah, we do. And um, every time it brings me right back to crazy Leland and suffering Laura and I'm mm -hmm. scared and the little boy or the, with like, the long little nose. boy jumping in the parking exactly. lot for no reason yes, exactly. or the, whatever, could right? Be the like, or whatever. Just those really weird scenes. And yeah. just that, how much power behind the entire mythology that the one little sound emotes so much, you mm -hmm. know? 
So and, then um, I thought it was significant, right? This line, let's rock, is in Firewalk With Me on Chet Desmond's windshield. Yeah. But the first time we hear it is back in season one when Cooper has that dream. Let's rock. The very first words that the man from another place with the arm yep. says, yep. right? Um, and if you recall that dream, he continues on to say, you know, where we're from, um, the birds sing a pretty song, and there's always music in the air. Right. Well, we cut from Diane to a shot of the mountains here and birds chirping. Yep. And I noticed that. I thought and that was really cool. And there's a couple times in this episode where uh, there's an edit that is linking a statement by one of the characters to something that we are about to or have just seen that I mm-hmm. think is significant, and this is one of them. Yeah. And the very last thing that we see in the scene before we cut to the birds is uh, Agent Cole's response to Diane saying, let's rock, yeah. is he knocks once on the wooden table. Yeah. So I don't know, just, you know, the... Um, is he knocking on wood? The motif of wood or just mm-hmm. this um, the, that idea of knocking on wood is right. a superstition yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, is it that or is it just like, a, yeah. Yeah, or is it right? like, like those, it's, yes. It's yeah. kind of ambiguous. Yeah, it is. But I, yeah. I thought maybe significant to mention that, so... Um, we do cut there, and we have uh, another transition shot that shows uh, the woods of Twin Peaks in their misty, um, gorgeous natural beauty. Mm. Um, and we see Jerry Horn running out of the woods, right? Yeah, apparently he's um, escaped. That was how I read this. Almost, uh, exactly. Right? Like, yeah, I, like he had been trapped in that spot. And, mm-hmm. He's not and, touring you know. his way out again. He's running from yeah, the woods. Yeah, running out of and there. And he yeah. falls a couple times. Yeah. He's a little hysterical, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but not much happens in the scene except for, okay, Jerry's out of the woods now. He's yeah. safe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when we think back to what we saw him doing in the woods earlier, in fact, what we've seen of Jerry Horn mostly in the return yeah. is him examining, have, oh, possibly high on drugs, but also examining something in the woods, possibly the entrance to the zone. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I kind of mm-hmm. thought with that, you know, I am not your fuck moment yeah. that maybe his foot was trapped in the zone temporarily and he was able mm-hmm. to get it out again. Yeah, I was really kind of interpreting it along those lines, like mm-hmm. his foot switched over to another dimension or whatever um something like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet we know now though that even if that happened he got out and he's running where is he running to is a good question i can't wait to see if he's going to report to ben Mm -hmm. or you know what we're going to see jerry get involved with now yeah good question yeah so um we are we get out of the woods with jerry horn and then we cut um to an internal shot of a grocery store with sarah palmer doing her shopping yes i'm so happy to see sarah palmer yeah um, and Grace Zabriskie is just amazing. She's so fantastic. Every motion she makes with her face and her arms mm-hmm. and her hands, she's just perfect. Yeah. And so basically, first of all, she wants like all of the Smirnoff. Seems like she's got it and <laughs> right. put together a basket full of Bloody Marys for the next one. Yeah, month. she's already got the Bloody Mary mix for the tomato juice or whatever in the cart. Yep. And then she's pulling off the bottles of, of vodka. And I, it looked like Smirnoff to me. I think it is, and, yeah. And um, she takes the three bottles and then she's sort of looking for more. Yeah, right? she's she, depressed you, that there's not a fourth, like, giant bottle well, yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I got the feeling that she would have uh, purchased all of the vodka yeah. they had in stock. Like, that's her brand, she's, you know. Because yep. then she goes to buy a carton of cigarettes. Like, yeah, she's stocking up. Yeah, a carton of Salem cigarettes, yeah. For uh, her next period of sitting at home watching those brutal animal documentaries or whatever. Yeah, she, yeah exactly. <laughs> what she does is her pastime now yeah. is uh, kind of basically violent, but... What connects, what I found fascinating about her watching that nature show is the violence inherent in nature itself, Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. she's been through some incredibly traumatic stuff, right? And then here she is, and that's what she's watching. It's almost some way, like her dealing with it and and her method of coping 
is by saying, okay, wait, but this is natural. There's violence in nature. Yeah. It's not something that's unnatural. And, uh, you know, you just reminded me, I was just going back watching the old um, Log Lady intros. Mm-hmm. I just watched all of them. Yeah, cool. Um, and so I don't remember in which one, but she says, um, nature is a great teacher mm. who is the principal. Oh, interesting. Which, I don't know, just stuck with me. As <laughs> yeah, like okay, that's cool. Funny question, yeah. So uh, up at the counter when she's getting her carton of Salem's, um, she notices the beef jerky that's kind of hanging up behind yeah, the clerk, Yeah, let's right? talk about the jerky because it kind of freaks her out. So it, it kind of freaks her out. Um, I always try to kind of pick apart what is at the fundamental thing. And mm-hmm. in this case, it's you know ripped and cooked and smoked flesh. Mm-hmm. It's something about the carnivorous animal Something mm-hmm. about her, when she's at home, she's watching lions eat, tear apart a water buffalo, you know. And now yeah. she's fixated. There's this flesh that's, like, commodified and packaged. Yeah, I think that that connection is interesting to think about. I also noticed that the logo on the uh, jerky, I think it's supposed to be a bull's head or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it maybe resembled a bit that symbol that we've seen on the playing card. Right. Maybe this is the experiment or whatever, uh, the owl cave symbol. Right, like, so possibly it wasn't about the There's some structural similarity mm-hmm. Uh, and also the brand of the jerky is albatross, hmm. apparently. So hmm. I don't know whether that kind of poetic sense of bearing an albatross or whatever is at play as well. Right. So it's triggering something in her, even if subconsciously, that she's she's basically bearing a burden that's way bigger than she can handle. Yeah, maybe. Or, I mean, is it about the turkey? I don't know. Because the, the, the girl working there seems to think she's just confused that they're now um, selling turkey jerky. Yeah, and she asks a few awkward questions. She says, you know, mm-hmm. were you here when they first came? Right. And um, at this point, we get this sound again, right? The, the yeah. scary sound yeah. comes back in. Um, she says yeah. a couple of things like, you know, your room looks different and men are coming. Men are coming. And yeah. and she says it in a very threatening way. It's, it's Things actually, can happen. She's scary, yeah. She says, you have to watch out. Things can happen. Something happened to me. I don't feel good. Yeah, I yeah. don't feel good. And then very almost weird. to herself, using her own name, she says, mm-hmm. Sarah, you know, stop it. Uh, leave this place, get the car keys. Yeah. And it's as if she's losing control of her own body and her own senses. Yeah, definitely. I mean, on one reading, you could say maybe she's having a panic attack or something like that. Right. Um, but given the noise we were talking about, or the music or whatever, there definitely seems to be maybe something deeper going on here. And, of course, we know that Sarah Palmer has some kind of more of a connection to that kind of stuff, being gifted or, or whatever, right? Like she saw Bob's face. She saw... Yeah, we spoke before about how in the double R she tells uh, Briggs, you Mm -hmm. know, about um, her experience with uh, in the lodge, like witnessing Bob's face. Yeah, and and that's interesting to think about here because um, I think in our first podcast, right, we talked about whose voice is that. Mm -hmm. If people don't recall, it's in the double R in the season two finale Mm -hmm. when um, Jacoby comes in with her Mm -hmm. to Major Briggs, and she says in a male distorted voice. Yeah. I'm in the lodge with Dale Cooper, whatever. I'm waiting for you, whatever. Right. So uh, if we have that in mind, in whose voice was that? Um, I always kind of thought it was maybe Wyndham Earl's voice. You thought maybe Leland? I kind of thought that maybe Leland's voice itself. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen Leland in the lodge with Cooper. Mm-hmm. And we know the connection. I, I picture just Sarah closer yeah. in a psychological yeah, way sense. to Leland. And, uh, you know, the fact that... She was there through all that, you know. I mean, of course, Leland was drugging her as he was abusing Laura, yeah. right? Um, but she still, there's like the, way more guilt than has ever been written about in any story is yeah. on Sarah's shoulders, right? Yeah. And so I kind of think like even through the drugging, 
there's the the scene where Leland is like, you be, you got to go wash your hands. You've got dirty hands, Laura. Mm-hmm. And Sarah is sitting there like freaking out and finally screams to stop it. Or right. Whatnot. You right. know, she she kind of even if subconsciously knows what's going on. Right. And didn't do anything. So and didn't do anything. She's about bearing it. that albatross. Yeah. And or she was possibly as possessed or uh, a little bit less so, but maybe she was slightly possessed by this thing as well as Leland. Yeah, I don't I don't know and I don't know how that plays in here, but it definitely seems like there's something going on along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um and just reminding us of all the trauma and just just considering Sarah Palmer 20 years, 25 years after her daughter has been murdered by her husband. Right. We've talked about this a few times. It's just the scariest like most guilt-ridden like m- most traumatic thing I've ever heard of. Right. You know? And I mean I think later she refers to the store as the grocery, but it does resemble what I think you might call a convenience store. Yeah, I think it's a Maybe. hybrid or something. Yeah. It's one of the small towns. Kind of in I mean, between. Yeah, somewhere in between. But, you know, after this happens, uh, she leaves, and then the two young clerks are kind of like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, and the guy says he knows where she lives. Maybe yeah, he'll says, I can go stuff. deliver, yeah. and I know where she lives, which, which to me, in my mind, probably insignificant, but I thought, you know, how does he know where she lives? Is this a, uh, 25 years after the murder, and still she's that's the house people talk about when, when they're whispering and Everybody yeah. knows Sarah Palmer is the mom of the girl yeah. that died. And, That's what you know. I think. I mean, because think about it. It's a little town. Right? Yeah. She's still living in that house. You have um, Laura Palmer killed by her father, Leland. Yeah. Also, he killed Maddie in that house. Yeah. Right. Sarah's still in that house. It was a huge high school event. Everybody in high school knew what happened. Right. So it's got to just be there in the mythology of the town. Yeah. And then you could know kids. They'd probably walk by like, that's the Palmer house, yeah. you know. And um, here 25 years later, even like, oh, wait a minute. Isn't that this thing that happened 25 years ago? And mm-hmm. that's the crazy old lady. Um, yeah. And I, I felt they achieved all of that just in a couple minutes of this yeah. scene. You know? Yeah. It's really really cool. great. Mm-hmm. So we go to this um, memory of the trauma of our narrative to kind of like a pure and positive moment with uh, Carl Rod at the new Fat Trout trailer park. Yeah, I mean, it was ultimately a, a nice moment. I don't know if it was pure um, because he's talking to this guy, Chris Cole, um, you know, and, and asking him about if he's been selling his blood. Yeah, so that's a this is hilarious there. to me. Yeah, a little darkness, but I, I just mean, I guess, Carl Rod being pure of heart. Yeah. He's, he's so angelic in what we've seen him go through so sure, far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, first of all, this character, Chris Cole, this is our first time seeing this person, right? Um, as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he sees him walking through the trailer park and to the point where Carl Rod rush, runs out to meet him and says, wait, you're not, you're not selling your blood again, are you? He says, yeah. And then Carl starts asking him about... Various sort of chores he's done around the trailer yeah, did park, you install and the whether tank he got for paid so-and-so? for doing did you that. Get paid? You cut the grass around he keeps here, and no. Yeah. And so Carl Rod says, you know, here's fifty bucks, and mm-hmm. your rent is due soon, but don't pay me for this mm-hmm. month. And you know, if you're, I don't like people selling their blood to eat. Yeah, I don't like people selling their blood this. to eat. <laughs> That's hilarious um, in itself. He says, keep your blood. Yeah, he says, well, I know that you know the medical people; they need blood, but you've given enough. You've given enough, and if you ever think about odd. selling your blood yeah. again, come to me first because I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, second time in the episodes, blood is being used uh, as in reference to Tammy being the new blood. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and for international <laughs> listeners, I saw someone on the forum asking whether this is really a thing in the U.S. Pretty oh. much, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You can Just sell your up. blood. Yep, yep, yep. Um. So we see this whole scene, and yeah, this could also, you know, this is a, we see a couple of social critiques um, throughout the show. One yeah. is Dr. Amp, one is maybe here, mm-hmm. referencing the medical system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, there's a couple things about that that are uneasy, but, yeah, you know, I- the life of poverty, you know, living in a trailer park and to eat 
Mm-hmm. You're giving blood. Right. You don't get a whole lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can sell whole blood or just plasma or what they're referring to exactly, but you can go and give and, you know, get mm-hmm. a small amount of money. It's not like a huge amount of money. Yeah. But but yeah, the idea that the blood that. is the essence of what you need to live mm-hmm. and you're yeah. giving it off, you know, yeah, so. Indeed. Um, anyway, so there's this moment and again, it just endears Carl Rod to me every time I see him. And this is another good example of that. Yeah. I like that. They're following my rule still of him being in every episode. Yeah. That's good. That's great. Keep it up. Yeah. So, uh, another quick scene follows this. Um, and the only time in this episode where we see Kyle McLaughlin is going back to Dougie's house. I thought this was great. This is really this is great. Maybe my favorite scene. So a little, uh, there's a little exterior shot that shows like the shadow of a bird flying over their lovely little uh, suburban home, uh-huh. and then we go to their backyard where uh, Sonny Jim Jones. Well, Sonny's first like pushing him out the door, is, almost yeah. right. And, he wants yeah. to play catch, and Dougie's got a glove on his hand, yeah. so like which I'm, somebody put on there. Yeah, for him. like Sonny put that on his hand yeah. for him. <laughs> Tells him where to stand, yeah. uh, um, and and then Sonny <laughs> goes across the other side of the yard, and I love how Sonny. Sits for a good 20 seconds or whatever, just pounding the ball in his glove, like uh, getting ready to throw yeah. it. The suspense <laughs> just, is there. He just throws great. it and hits him with the ball. That's it. He just hits him with the ball, and then the ball hits the ground, and then that's it. So it's like this classic you know, father-son moment um, mm-hmm. played out as Dougie not being really present and right. doesn't know to catch the ball. Right. And so the ball just kind of hits him and bounces, bounces off. Yep. Um, but again, another um, uh, child-parent moment. Mm-hmm. And it does tell us that, you know, Dougie's still Dougie. Yep, Dougie's still Dougie. Mm-hmm. And we wonder, um, because we see him just once here, is this a placeholder or what? But we actually don't return to him in this episode at all. No, I was thinking about uh, when starring Kyle McLaughlin came up at the end. So uh-huh. like, LOL. Oh, That's yeah, funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he was in. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, you, and you wonder, you know, how many did they have to take a lot of takes with that? I think uh, it's yeah. really funny to picture... Just over and over, take 20, where Kyle gets hit again with yeah, the ball. I would imagine they didn't, though. Yeah. But there's something unique about how the ball hits. The ball hits his shoulder or whatever, and it, mm-hmm. roll, it, it bounces up and then over his body and then down to the floor. Yeah. Just the arc that it hits, I thought it was it was cool. It was maybe a little too perfect. But then we were talking earlier about the scene with the stunt woman who is playing Shelly getting thrown from the oh, hood right, of a yeah. car. Apparently they only did one take on that. They did and, the, her uh, shoe flew off and, and they it did was an and, accident. Yeah, yeah, it was an accident, but Lynch loved it and they did mm-hmm. one take. Why would you need more? I yeah. guess he said. So, so maybe only one take here. Yeah, we could see that happening too. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so after this we get another uh, external mountainside mist, a little transition. Um, and then we go back to the Palmer home. Right, Hawk's pulling up. We see mm-hmm. the exterior shot of the Palmer house, mm-hmm. which is iconic, I think. Yes. Um, and Laura's theme plays. Right. Right. I thought that was noteworthy. So completely evocative. And this is mm-hmm. also back to Twin Peaks, Sarah and Hawk. We know everything that we've learned about their connections uh, from the past series. And, uh, you know, anytime you just start to paint the canvas based on what we saw in the original series, there's a like a little pang in my heart of nostalgia yeah. about well, Laura. Well, it's funny everything. because I was thinking about it actually, you know, before this episode aired yesterday, I was thinking about that song. Because, you know, if you're watching the original series, you've got the opening music, which is carried over, yeah. right? Yeah. That play on Falling or whatever. Mm-hmm. But every episode ended with this song. Right. And I was just thinking about yesterday. I was like, I, I miss that song. I yeah. miss the episode ending, hitting that And then the song. portrait. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, with the portrait or whatever. And mm-hmm. instead we're getting, you know, the uh, Lynch Frost logo. So, um, I don't know, I guess it was just kind of coincidental that, oh, there it popped up in the episode. Mm, and, yeah. and well-placed, I think. Too. Yeah, definitely yeah. well-placed. Um, mm. It's a, b- a couple questions come up from this visit. So we see Hawk <laughs> yeah. going to her. 
Um, you know, she says, you're here about what happened in the grocery store today, basically. Yeah, right? well, we see the ceiling fan, first of all, before we even get to the door. Yeah, th- right? a shot through the window that we see the ceiling fan is running. Oh, man. And, of course, that evokes all these memories yeah. of, you know, the Palmer house back when yeah. Laura was living in it. I mean, it's, I've never been so terrified by an inanimate object. I know, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly, the ceiling fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had, I've stayed at places where I have go to fall asleep and looking up and there's a fan on the ceiling just is kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But you see it from an exterior shot before yeah. we even get inside the house for anything. Yeah. Um, and the sound is playing. There's also some of this whooshing sound that goes along with the fan mm-hmm. happening. Um, Hawk goes up and he talks to Sarah, who answers the door. Um, he says, you know, people were worried about you. Yeah. And then you hear something. It sounds like clanging glass bottles or something like that. Yeah. Hawk says mm-hmm. he hears it, too. He says, is somebody in the house? She says, no, just something in the kitchen. Right. Which we don't know what's the thing in the kitchen, you know, and yeah. uh, could this be the delivery kid, the clerk who says, you know, oh, I'll, I know where she lives. I'll deliver. And because it's glass bottles, we're hearing clanking mm-hmm. and we she know she those... left them at the store. Yeah, I was thinking maybe that. But then that's weird because why would she lie to Hawk unless she like has him tied up or something? <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I don't well, know what's well, going on here because right. then. She says, we were talking about this line and different ways of reading the line when she says, um, goddamn bad story, isn't it, Hawk? Yeah. Yeah, I I first took that thinking, okay, how many ways can I take that? Mm -hmm. And the first way I'm thinking is where she's just referencing her own tragedy. Like, isn't my story just a goddamn bad story? Mm -hmm. Like, my husband and my daughter and then all of this. Now I'm, you know, aging and wasting away drinking Mm -hmm. and such. And I think um, that's even maybe how Hawk seems to take it because he just says, well, you know, if I can ever help you in any way, yeah, you know, let if you ever need any kind you know, of help, yeah. I know your story that. is sad, you know, I'm here for you. But you kind of pointed out that it might be more immediate where she's responding to what's happening on in that moment. Yeah, I almost took it that way first. Like she says, there's just something in the kitchen. Um, that this is a that's a bad cover story, right? Yeah, Where, like so whatever's going on. Yeah. What do you mean? There's something in the kitchen. Yeah. It's like a raccoon's in your kitchen. Right. Or like seriously, what? How is that supposed to um, be an explanation for the noise? Just yeah. something in the kitchen. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And Hawk yeah. accepts that I think a yeah. little too easily. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's that question of like, was that a secret call for help that Hawk didn't catch or something? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other way I ask myself how I can take that is the meta way. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. Where like she, it could be this meta idea of like, oh, this whole damn Twin Peaks story is pretty bad, isn't it? We have two <laughs> actors talking to each other yeah. in the narrative. Uh, oh, I was thinking. I, I thought you meant more just this uh, episode in particular. Something. But okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, I yeah. did mean in specific reference, like where yeah. the, the creators knew, okay, this is an exposition episode. And I kind of feel like they're always going to be one, one step ahead of the fans. Like Frost and Lynch know what we're going to be commenting on mm. the day after. Yeah, I was just thinking about the lack of flow in this episode, if yeah. you like, or that kind of frustration I was referencing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be taken that way too. And it's, it's fascinating either way. But besides how it can be taken, it's really how Grace Zabriskie delivers oh this. and her face and her face mm-hmm. is is shocking and scary and it's bitter and it's there's a lot of emotion going on mm-hmm. and you know not everybody could pull off what grace Zabriskie is doing no this. one could yeah. i don't think the way that she twists her face up and gives that i mean it communicates some level of something yeah but you can't even quite say what emotion she's communicating yeah i don't know if anyone else could do what she does here yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, there's something about like how much anger and sorrow are combined mm-hmm. together. Like who's filled with more garmambosia than yeah, you know right. Sarah Palmer? Mm-hmm. Um, so and then there's this moment where Hawk says, "Okay, you know, if you need help, call. If you need any kind of help, 
stressing that. And then Sarah kind of like loses that grimace and says, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> thanks, Hawk, as she shuts yeah. the door. Seems like back to her normal self. Yeah. So again, like some shifting in her personality over the course of this scene, I thought was also present again, mm-hmm. right? Like her sort of calm, quote unquote, normal self mm-hmm. is more just, um, I don't know, detached and cynical. Yeah. But then she has these moments where this other thing is breaking through. Yeah, I think oh, that's, that's perfect to say it. detached. It's like in the original series, it's like when she gets closer to recognizing the truth, mm-hmm. it's like the truth is so scary and great, you you mm-hmm. can't cope with it. So let's just ignore it and pretend like it's not there. Right. You know, and then you see her stuck in this dynamic with Leland and Laura all living in the same house. Yeah. And, you know, it just brings back all that trauma. Yeah. So, uh, but in, incredible performance by Grace Zabriskie. She's just fantastic. Agreed. Um, this takes us to um, hospital where we yeah. get basically kind of one shot just of Miriam. Of Miriam in the bed, um, maybe a bit reminiscent of um, Jacques Renault or Rana Pulaski, but basically just hospital shot. Yeah. yeah. Or from the missing pieces, we've seen Annie in this scenario. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've heard that Audrey was in this scenario um, mm-hmm. in a coma. You know, so there have been a couple repeating, like, uh, character unconscious in a hospital, which is very soap opera, actually. It is very soap opera. It also got me wondering whether the food in the hospital is still terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I hope we find out (laughs) in the coming weeks. Yeah. Um, Just one thing that you might note, just because it's fun um, placement of props, uh, up near her head, obviously, somebody has sent Miriam some flowers. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it was pointed out to me that the flowers are like purple roses. Yeah. Which is basically as close as you can get yeah. to a blue rose and yeah. have it on scene. Um, but it's just the one shot that kind of like pans up her body and we see there's some beeping and the beeping kind of intensifies a little bit and it mm-hmm. it makes you wonder, oh, what's happening with her right now? Yeah, and she's in critical condition. I think you can read just from this even. Yeah. And I don't know who sent the flowers. I guess I wonder. Yeah. I don't know if we'll find that out. Right. Um, so just a but more exposition, more showing us what's happening and more like we keep seeing in this episode. It is like reminding us like, wait, this is a soap opera. Yeah. You know? um, so we cut from that to Diane at the hotel bar and she's on her phone texting. Right. This is where she gets the text about Las Vegas. Right. right? Las just Vegas. Las question Vegas mark. question mark. Yeah. Right. We see that she, not only does uh, she use uh, military time in her settings on her phone. Yeah. But that it is 1928. So it's about 730. So it's about 730. Um, OK. And again, we do not know for sure who she is texting with. Right. Um, but she replies by saying they haven't asked me about it yet. Something like that. Yeah. And so previously, the question was about Bill Hastings taking and leading them to the zone mm-hmm. was what she was texting with this mysterious person. Right. Uh, now, Vegas is mentioned. And this kind of throws me for a world because I'm saying to myself, wait, who knows about Vegas? Yeah. We, I mean, the Mitchum brothers and Dougie and all of them are there. But mm-hmm. has anybody made the connection yet? To Dougie or Vegas? Mm, Why? Well, who, who knows about Vegas? That would Mr. be texting C does. He's almost the only one I can think of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, on the other hand, uh, whoever Mr. C was talking to in the hotel room. Right. That was supposedly Jeffries or not Jeffries. Right. Right. This is still the person that I'm thinking Diane is talking to. But Mm -hmm. I understand a lot of people out there think she's talking to Mr. C by text. Mm -hmm. We don't know. But again, there's this there is this other figure, whoever that is. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Philip Jeffries or um, Philip Gerard, I think maybe, or, or someone else. Mm-hmm. I think that's also um, at least a possibility to bear in mind. Right. 
But the plot thickens on that one. Mm-hmm. We still don't know who she's texting. Indeed. Um, and there's something about Diane here where we don't know to fully accept her as a good guy or not still. Mm-hmm. Um, but that plot is unfolding. So, um, and then we jump back to the Great Northern. Yep. Uh, this time for um, Sheriff Frank Truman is visiting Ben Horn. Mm-hmm. And he um, sits down and he says, you know, there's no easy way to say this, Ben. You know, Richard ran over that kid, your grandson. Yep. Which I did, I did wonder a little bit how exactly that got um, put together. Uh, I was expecting to see a little bit more in between here, I guess, right? Yeah, because like, we don't see Miriam testifying what she saw. No, did the letter get through? Right, we did think that Chad probably took the wrong letter. Right. right? So maybe so, the letter actually be. got through, and that's how they know. And but um, Or Miriam explained something, but between crawling out of the woods, gasping for breath, and her, the current coma yeah, that she she's in. Yeah, she seems to be in critical condition, yeah. not in the position to actually have said anything yet. So I'm... I'm more along the lines of thinking, okay, that letter got through. Yeah. In which case, I almost think that what Lynch and Frost are doing is is kind of brilliant, right? Like, we thought we were so smart by noticing that Chad got the wrong letter, but then it only really makes sense with that being the case, yeah. right? So it's kind of like if you weren't paying that level of attention, you're going to be confused. Right. But if you were, then you're like, oh, well, okay, it must be that – Chad took the wrong letter and they got the real letter and okay that makes sense yeah part of the attention to detail in this show just being astounding so there's a weird kind of inversion I'm thinking of like what they're making us infer and what they're telling us outright or something like that well that's true but the other thing too is that Frank says you know Richard killed the little boy and Mm -hmm. he attempted to kill the witness Mm -hmm. so how would anyone know that except for Richard Horn or Miriam unless Miriam was able to communicate that somehow right so I think it has to either be her letter got through which but even in the letter getting through wouldn't accuse him of trying to kill her as a witness so even if they got that letter it's like well how do they how does well, Frank know she did say that her letter said in if anything happens to me Richard did it oh that's true. but of course I yeah. mean that's a weird kind of predicting the future type of accusation sure. yeah but um, Miriam did say her letter included that thought so mm-hmm. you know it is possible that Frank's just believing that on the basis of the letter yeah I think. that's true and or maybe she was able to say something before she yeah and if the, as long as there's conjecture there we can also say oh it's possible that since Miriam didn't since her trailer didn't burn up, mm-hmm. there might have been like a police investigation there with forensics. Yeah, he, he might, might have got his fingerprints, prints or whatever. Yeah. There. But yeah, I was kind of surprised that we didn't see any of that, right? We yeah. just sort of jump all of a sudden to, okay, the cops know Richard did it. And uh, okay, cool. Right. And so this brings up this broader question of Richard's relation to who the heck is Richard? And he's, <sighs> okay, so we get to Ben Horn, okay. right? And Ben Horn, we know for sure, is the grandfather. He admits yep. it. Frank says it. Yep. He says a couple things about Richard, including. That boy has never been right. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you know, that he grew up without a father, he states. Yeah, I think he says that to Beverly later. He doesn't say that mm-hmm. to, to Frank for whatever that's worth. Right. And, um, well, it seems more with Frank, he's kind of preoccupied with uh, preoccupied with telling him about this key that he found that he wants Harry to have. Yeah, ultimately. But, you know, they do talk about Richard a little bit first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it makes sense to me that Frank might be coming to Ben because he's also asking Ben to pay Miriam's medical bills. Which he agrees to wholeheartedly mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. which is really nice to see that. I mean, it gives this sense of like, because there's some question before, is Ben Horn still on the line? Is he more or less, you know, transcendentally good after his experiences mm, yeah. or, you know. Um, but um, so that makes sense. But, you know, then Ben's the grandfather. And then, yeah, this question about Richard's parents, mm-hmm. carrying forward to when he's then talking to Beverly, when he says Richard never had a father. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And he's also saying that while he's reminiscing about his own father giving him a green bike that he cherished so much the memory of. Right. But what's the story, man? I mean, so one, you know, as I'm watching this scene, there's so much tension for me going through it the first time. Like, yeah. are they going to mention the mother? Are they going to mention Audrey? And yeah. of course, they just don't. Yeah. But something about that is really kind of odd. I mean, considering, who, yeah, Richard's on the lamb. He's looking for him. It, right. Is the grandfather the first person he goes to? I mean, okay, maybe, but... If so, why? I mean, because the parents aren't on the scene, either of them? Right, exactly. Again, like, I can I can pull in the uh, wanting Ben to pay Miriam's medical bills thing, but you're also looking for Richard, so it would seem like you would also go to his mother, mm-hmm. if she exists, maybe mention said mother in the scene with Ben. Right. But all of that doesn't happen. So... Even if we're thinking that Audrey is Richard's mother, I don't know that anything here contradicts that. Right. There's still a real question about what the story is here. If, as Ben says, he never had a father, who raised this kid? Yeah. And if he had a mother, who's the mother and what conditions? I mean, it just brings up a ton of questions. Is <laughs> Richard just some Damien seed of the devil kind of yeah, like I don't from know. out of nowhere? Well, because you could even go to the lines of saying like, okay, whoever the mother is, maybe Ben and Sylvia raised um, Richard for whatever circumstances, right? right? Maybe that's why, part of why Frank would be going to Ben first, right? Mm. But then, you know, if that were the case, then you would think Ben would view himself more as the father figure, which he doesn't quite do. Right, exactly. So it, there's a real question here, not just about who's Richard's parents are, but what the conditions were of his upbringing, I think. Right. right. Uh, another thing I thought that was absent from this scene and so noticeable to me was the description of Richard Horn going into Sylvia's place and assaulting her. Right, that's you true. Know, I kept expecting mm. Ben to, to relate that story to the sheriff. Yeah. But maybe not because he's also interested in preserving his family's yeah. image and everything. I could see Ben just not wanting to pile it on. Yeah. You're already telling me my grandson ran over a kid and assaulted a woman. Yeah. What what need is there to also bring in this family drama? I right. can see that. And then uh, when Beverly comes in, you get this sense that, you know, Beverly knows how sensitive this issue is. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, my grandson has killed a little boy and she's so apologetic for it. And she yeah. she kind of looks at him like, oh, Ben's suffering here. He's trying to do the right thing. He's a good man. Yeah. As she has said in a previous episode. She did say that. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's really suffering because of this kind of family drama that he's going on. Um, ben says, you know, Richard never has a father. Um, he's also reminiscing about his own father. Uh, tells Beverly to call the hospital up and wants to pay all of Miriam's medical expenses. Mm-hmm. She needs an operation, he states, that Frank has told yeah, her. Yeah, Frank did say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Beverly jumps in action and does it right away. Um, after this is all said and done, Ben kind of repeats to himself... I loved that bike that my father got for me. Yeah, he goes on about the bike quite a bit, but I think it was as a kind of symbol for that father-son relationship more than anything. Exactly, and I think this is um, maybe a good spot to talk about. I think this is kind of a theme for this episode is um, the childless parent or the parentless child. Yeah. Uh, We've seen it in this little um, Dougie and Sonny Jim scene where you've got a father-son trying to play catch, but the father's kind of like removed. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we were reminded of it with Sarah dealing with losing her own child, you know? Yeah. Um, it's going to come up a couple other times, and we'll mention that when it does. Um, we have this here in this scene um, where Ben is talking about not only his father, right. but, um, you know, Richard not having a father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the absence of the mother figure that we still don't know about Richard. 
Yeah, you know that's really the weird one. So a few. T- this is a reoccurring theme for sure in this episode: is uh, parentless child, childless parents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think we'll be able to come back to that in a bit. Um, but I think it's a good way to end in this just reminiscing. Ben Horn, of course, is like aged. He's getting up there in years. Mm-hmm. He's reminiscing about his family. And he's one of these characters that's super successful economically, mm-hmm. but seems to have a family in complete tatters and insanity. If you consider Johnny, mm-hmm. Sylvia, and, you know, his, you know, everything that's um, linked to having a successful empire. Right. I was also thinking destroying about your how, family. Um, if you think back, there is an odd tendency for in Twin Peaks episodes to kind of focus either on the horns or on the Briggses. Okay, yeah. You notice that? Mm-hmm. Like last episode, we spent a lot of time with the Briggs family. True. And mm-hmm. this episode, we spent a lot of time with the Horns. Mm-hmm. And I would say in the original series, that was also true, but you would also mm-hmm. have like the Haywards in there. Right. And of course, the Palmers. Mm-hmm. And the Packards and all these others, yeah. you know. But, but so there, the, we, the, it's always been a thing, and Secret History points this out too, that there's really only kind of four or five lineages right. that control yeah. this area, whether mm-hmm. it be the wood, mm-hmm. um, the logging industry, or the kind of institutions like the double R or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so interesting to see that breakdown and to get closer to the horns, but it seems like the closer we get to the horns, the less we understand about <laughs> right? who's who in the family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, again, what I was trying to get at with this idea of frustration, but also the way it's building tension. You know, it's right. like, I want more information, but I keep getting more kind of, anxious about the lack of answers or something right it's true like uh if the fans had never expressed what we were dying most to see in this show yeah that we might have gotten everything we wanted right (laughs) away but like lynch and frost were like oh that's what you want to see okay well here's what we're gonna give you yeah you know Mm -hmm. and i i kind of love the approach like that because you know lynch's thing is always like oh what do you what did you expect is the question yeah. You know, like, did you expect that you would know what would, you know, happen in one of my projects, you know? Uh-huh. And so, um, so speaking of uh, frustration, at least for me, let's go to the next scene with Albert and this uh, French woman. Oh, gosh. And so, Cole and the French yeah, woman, so, first of all. Yeah. yeah. Agent Cole sitting in his room and he's telling a story to a very gorgeous woman dressed in a red dress. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts to see. This is another one of those points I wanted to bring up, like before, where there's an edit point where maybe... Yeah. The content of one scene leads into a statement. Okay. Um, in this case, the first thing we see is the trap was set. Yeah. And it's Cole talking you know, like some secret agent story. Telling some story about 75 men going over a mountain after midnight. After midnight, yeah. yeah. And all with sirens mm-hmm. and guns. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to me how quick the edit was where we just went from Ben Horn's scene to boom. And then the trap was set, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wondered, you know, is, uh, you know, on how many levels are you saying that? And even here, though, talking about my theme of uh, frustration, I guess I'm sticking with the word. Mm-hmm. Part of me wanted to hear the rest of the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then knock, 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 and it's just cut off. Yeah. And yeah. we and we both, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we both looked up online like, hey, when was mm-hmm. there 75 men anything. that ran over a mountain? Yeah, yeah there's anything. no reference. Yeah. I don't know if that's a movie yeah. or what. Yeah. Um, and also many times when it involves Albert and Cole, many times in many scenes like this, there's like a knock on the door that interrupts somebody. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, you know, last time we saw Cole, you know, having a vision of Laura Palmer. Right. Um, so th- I think there's this re- reoccurring thing. There's always somebody ready to knock, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, but Albert comes in, he sees that he's, um, that Cole is hanging out with a lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you know, will you ask your friend to wait downstairs for us? We have to talk kind of thing. Right. 
Um, he, Cole goes over to her and says, you know, sweetheart, you know, please, you know, wait for us downstairs. I'll call you in the bar. Mm-hmm. She says, oui, mon chéri. And just, she just takes forever yeah, takes to her leave time. the room. She's smiling and flirting the whole time. She's mm-hmm. kind of showing off her, her shoes and her hair and her lipstick and everything. Yeah. And Agent Cole's loving every second of it. I mean, yeah, and the differing perspectives here. You've got Cole on the one hand, then Albert's just sitting there. I was more Albert. I'm just like. Yeah, I got to say I was more on Cole. His face, like, <laughs> I was more Cole. You leave the room. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, particularly for me because, you know, as, as I was mentioning to you a little earlier, I you know what Albert is there to tell Cole. Yeah. We as the audience already knew. This is part two of right? let's see what Diane has been texting. Yeah, that yeah. clearly is going to be there to say, hey, look, you know, Diane had this text exchange about Las Vegas that we've already seen. Yeah. Right. So basically they're making us wait through all of this with the woman leaving the room in order to get the information from Albert that we already know. Yeah, I think this goes along with the frustration theme. Yeah, I exactly. think this also definitely goes along with the soap opera thing. Mm-hmm. I think this episode is trying to remind us, like, hey, don't think you're watching some crime cop show. This <laughs> is uh, Twin Peaks at its fundamental nature. We're getting sci-fi now, even. Mm-hmm. But at its heart, this is still a, a dramatic soap opera, you know? Yeah, I guess. And I think this is part of it. But it's also really fun to see... You know, the crew making the Twin Peaks again, let's have some fun kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, there are a couple other things about this scene ultimately with Gordon and Albert that are maybe worth talking about. Um, Yeah, for sure. Um, So first of all, she does go down to the bar. He says, I'll call you at the bar. Mm -hmm. A couple funny moments where, for example, she tests the wine. And she says, oh, you know, that is uh, Trebon and Lynch, and Lynch Cole's yeah, It's response. a good one. It's a good one. You know, <laughs> just the juxtaposition between the two. She's very graceful, um, very beautiful, yeah. um, very uh, soft-spoken, Definitely very the kind elegant. of girl who makes you wish she spoke a little French. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is, of course, what, yeah. what Cole, we've heard him say in the original series. About Shelly, I think, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this moment, he's but he's loving it. When she's applying the lipstick, <laughs> for example, he's, yeah. like, pursing his lips yeah. like... I don't know. I just I dig how much Cole is into this and fine with it. But there's also, like you mentioned, a couple things between Albert and Cole. Mm-hmm. Uh, once she is gone, this young lady, Cole comes back in and says, "Oh yeah, she's in town visiting her friend who lost her daughter." And, and the you're turn like, up joke. "What the hell? Yeah. Does somebody else lost a daughter or mm-hmm. whatever?" Which is another reference to a parentless child or childless parent. Right. Uh, but turns out it's a joke. He's just messing with because says, "Turn up. She'll turn up." Well, yeah. At some I, point. I was kind of wondering, was the whole thing a joke or was that true? Like, was the first part true? Is she really there visiting someone, a friend whose daughter is missing? I don't know. Yeah, it, it I definitely took it sets as up the, the joke. I told her, yeah, don't worry, she'll turn up eventually. Yeah, um, and that's hilarious. How I mean, if it was real, how she could go there to <laughs> meet him and then suddenly is like cuddling up, learning about his war yeah, stories. I don't know. And then then this bit about the joke not translating because she's French and how do you yeah, know there are six thousand languages spoken on Earth, right. Albert? Yeah, that's great. And this whole mm-hmm. time, Albert's not saying a word. He's just looking mm-hmm. right at Cole. And I kind of caught this thing where you realize, Albert, it's always a um, a game <laughs> yeah. of will against yeah. each other. Albert's waiting for that moment to get serious. Mm-hmm. No, and you I, see yeah. the expression change on Cole's face where he's finally like, okay, Albert, what is it? Yeah, you know? I love how, yeah, uh, Albert um, just kind of waiting for Cole to be done. Yeah. Like, okay, you done now? Yeah, right. exactly. Here's the information. Yeah. And it's like yeah. five minutes of that, too. So. I know. And as I said, <laughs> watching this scene, maybe everyone didn't experience this this way, but I definitely knew Albert's there to tell him about Diane's yeah, text I knew. messages. Yeah, I could tell that's right? what was coming like, up. Clearly, right. that's where we're going. Mm-hmm. And he does. Uh, I did think it was interesting then when Cole says, okay, what do we know about that we haven't asked her about? Yeah, because he he, he tells Cole what he found. One mm-hmm. is Las Vegas question mark. Um, the other is, you know, uh, well, they haven't asked me yet. 
And then Cole stops and says, you know, okay, well, he's instant detective, right? And he's a good one. Yeah. And he's like, okay, the, the missing information we need is, um, you know, what do we know? She right. knows we know. That right, we exactly. haven't asked about her Because yet. they don't want to just go and say, what's up with Las Vegas? Because then they tip her off that they've been monitoring her text exactly. messages. So exactly. what do we know that she knows that we know that we can ask her about in order to find out what she knows about Las Vegas? Yeah. Great. And then not long after posing that intense detective question, he says, well, you know what? We'll figure it out later. I want to mm-hmm. get back to my Bordeaux. Get back to my Bordeaux. <laughs> Which is quote unquote wake, Bordeaux. Wake. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, um, there's a, a nice little joke here, too, regarding Cole's hearing where Albert says, oh, Bordeaux, what kind is it? And, of course, Cole hears him say, what time is it, and responds that it's 11.05. Yeah, there were a number of those in this episode, too. I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe related to your comment about reminding us it's a soap opera. Mm-hmm. Those kind of cheesy moments. Yeah. Like, I'm actually almost surprised we didn't get the hospital food joke. Yeah. Maybe right. it was cut for time right. or something. Right? Well, there, <laughs> like, it yeah. might have been filmed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this scene ends, actually, even though there's this little com- comedic element to it, mm-hmm. it ends very seriously in such a memorial for the fans to oh, see. Oh, and he says, I'm, I, sometimes I worry Cole about Cole and you. Albert, mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, Lynch and Ferrer, you yeah, know, and he know, puts his yeah. hand on his shoulder and he says, you know, Albert, sometimes I really worry about you. And Albert, mm-hmm. again, is responding only with the look in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And you get the idea that they've been working together so long, they're so connected that they can read each other very well. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's true, too, in the real world, working on these projects together, just as Lynch and Ferrer. Mm-hmm. But it is like Hawk saying goodbye to the log lady or something. One of these moments for the fans that you're just like, oh, I know what that means underneath. Gah. Yeah. Well, I also wonder the question about Gordon's hearing mm-hmm. like, and his and his general sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like in, in some of these instances, I'm tempted to interpret it as him actually hearing it correctly and then making a bad joke. Yeah, I want. I, like, I don't that always too. think he's yeah. mishearing. I think exactly. sometimes he might be purposefully. And there was like a good ten second pause where Albert's <laughs> yeah. looking at him and they're not saying anything, <laughs> yeah. and you could tell Albert's like grinding his teeth, like, <laughs> yeah. "Are you fucking joking here?" Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But Albert's seen it so many times that he basically just waits for it to pass, <laughs> and and Cole no longer gets the joy. <laughs> yeah. Of like pulling one over on him because yeah. Albert's just like, okay, I'm going to wait this out. And then Cole's saying, okay, what do you want? You know. Yeah, indeed. Um, but what a great scene between, um, you know, two great characters. We go from there to another scene I really enjoyed in this episode with Hutch and Chantel, right? Yep. External uh, uh, warden's house. Mm-hmm. We um, learn, ultimately, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and they're in the van. And, and first they're talking about whether or not they're going to take the time to torture him for fun. Yeah, Chantel is apparently hungry and doesn't want to take yeah, the time. She wants to go to Wendy's. Yeah, they passed a Wendy's on their way. Uh-huh. And so, of course, Hutch comes up with the idea, well, if you want, I could shoot him in the legs. <laughs> yeah. And we could kidnap him. And we could, like, we could torture him later. Baby, you know, we like... could torture him anywhere you want to torture him. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm hungry. And yeah. he's like, well, I'm just making sure. Yeah, just making know. sure. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I think we both noticed that she's got some Cheetos, right? Yeah, Hold I her did over. definitely notice the Cheetos um, that Chantel loves. Yeah, Chantel's eating some Cheetos. And then mm-hmm. basically, you know. Warden pulls up and Hutch shoots him a couple times. Yeah, he's got some fancy sniper rifle, and we see the classic shot of, like, looking through the scope of the sniper rifle. Yeah. Um, he shoots him twice, but, of course, it does. It won't just end there. No, no, his little kid's <laughs> got to run out and go, Daddy, the Daddy! The little kid has to run out and see his father's brains are all over the front uh-huh. porch, you know? Next stop, Wendy's. Yeah, and then Hutch saying, next stop, <laughs> Wendy's, you know, it's just so cold and so yeah. removed, and yeah. these two are killers, and, you know... Mm-hmm. But the other thing, again, there's the fatherless child thing popping up. Yep. And so to to throw the kid in there is to is to complete the circuit or something. It's like 
Yeah, you haven't just killed a person. You've killed a, a person that is also in these relationships with all these other people. He's a father, mm-hmm. and now you've left one more person without a father in the world, you know. Um, yeah. So just something to be noted. But also, just, again, like, you can't just let it go there. It has to be something doubly fucked up of what a normal <laughs> yeah. assassin would be. Right, you know? exactly. You have to have the kid running out crying. Yeah. Yeah, now we're complete. Yeah, now mm-hmm. we're complete. <laughs> um, after this, there's another transitional shot of uh, woods in Twin Peaks, but um, this one is more of the sky and the cloudiness of the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the moon half lit, mm-hmm. um, and it's one of these shots where the clouds cover up the light of the moon before we transition. Right. Um, I always recognize this from, like, old werewolf movies, stuff like that. It's one of those moments where the conscious mind is blurred and confused and sure. sy- symbolically, you know. Um, so, but it's just a beautiful shot. And, um, you know, we come back to Twin Peaks with this um, to Dr. Amp's show again. We see Dr. Jacoby Dr. doing Amp, the show again. Doing the vamp. Yeah. Climbing the ramp for freedom. Yep. Ramping up to Whatever justice, lamp yeah. of freedom, vamp um, for liberty, I think is. Uh... Something like that. <laughs> One of the things that struck me was how repetitive this is. Yeah. It's, it's almost code the it, same yeah. lines that we've heard from him before, even right. the first time. And mm-hmm. uh, we see the commercial. It almost seems like a condensed version of that first show we saw of his. Right. But I don't quite think it is. What it really got me thinking about was about the kind of lack of substance to this type of discourse, mm-hmm. right? Like if you think about, I don't know, you're Alex Jones or whoever, if you listen to these people, I think what they're playing with with Jacoby relates to that somewhat, right? And For so it's, sure. not, it's not necessarily that what Jacoby's saying is wrong yeah. so much as it doesn't really have a lot of substance to it. It's right. content thin. Yeah. You know, just this ranting about, you know, these fucks are at it again. The, you know, fucking well, corporate the, elites. The quick list is, he says, it's about these giant multinational corporations. He says right. the fucks are at it again. He says these these people that eat, drink, and shit money. Yeah. Uh, they buy politicians for a song. And he says, fuck you for betraying the people and fuck you in the ass, you treasonous puppets. Um and then he adds to the end of this, the ninth level of hell will welcome you. So this right, and then but mm-hmm. you know, again, some buying the shovel, right? Like mm-hmm. it's part of what I'm trying to say is, what's the solution, right? So you're not really getting an in-depth analysis. You're getting a number of kind of blanket, broad statements, right? But then on the other end of it, you see Nadine admiring it as always, drinking mm-hmm. her little milkshake she's got, right. and she says, you know, it worked for me, Doctor Amp. <laughs> Yeah, and not, and of course we know that she carries one of those shovels in her shop window. Right. I mean, but you know, something about the way that people are connecting to this, right? Yeah. I think part of why we're getting the repetition, and it's so blatant as repetition, I think has to do with that, right? Mm-hmm. You only see it once. You might be like, "Yeah, Doctor Amp, yeah. I agree." Right. But I think seeing it again now, this is what the third time in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, that way it's starting to feel like, oh, we've seen this before. You're not really saying anything new. And I think there is a level of commentary here about that stuff in the real world mm-hmm. that are very often these people aren't saying anything new, right? You can tune in every week and get riled up. Right. But. And almost like it's a layer of subterfuge that helps the fucks keep being added again or something. Maybe, you know, yeah. because if you look at that list, you know, it's kind of true in some sense of the things that we are witnessing from the global elite and politicians and putting money first above people and, Mm -hmm. you know, voted in by people to protect people, to fight for people's rights, and then continually, seemingly stripping away people's rights in benefit of the multinational corporations. So that's all real. But when we keep seeing the same rhetoric that is Mm -hmm. kind of, as you say, is is kind of empty, um, it diminishes the importance of what that content was originally Right, and what's the solution offered? 
a shovel. Golden that, shovel, yeah. two goats, guaranteed. Yeah, two goats, yeah. guaranteed. As you pointed out, there's no hiding the fact that it's not gold. It's a it's, painted shovel. Yeah. It's a painted shovel. Yeah. And yet you do have Nadine with her patch. And of course, we know Adine, Nadine mm. has got a history of being unstable. Sure. But she is saying, you know, it worked for me, Dr. <laughs> Hamp, and she's totally into it. Indeed. You get yeah. the idea that it's the one show that she watches every single day or whatever. Yeah. Um, so this uh, this scene jumps to a scene that um, is going to strike a lot of different people a lot of different ways. And mm. I think is also one of these examples where, like I was saying earlier, you have an edit point. A very quick cut, right? And we were, we were talking mm-hmm. about this, right? That mm-hmm. both of us like perked up in our seats or maybe even said you stood up. Yeah, I was sitting down. And I <laughs> yeah. saw uh, Dr. Ampey yeah. says, the ninth level of hell will welcome you. Boom. Edit to Audrey, Audrey Horn. Horn. And I did. I jumped out of my seat. What? I went over to the TV. And I said, oh, my God. Yeah, what's I think I just happen? like stood up straight, like yeah. kind of on the edge of my uh, chair. And I love that it's not like, oh, red pumps and then panning up to no. see Audrey. There's no just musical theme quick. to announce a character coming in the room. Nothing mm-hmm. like that. Just an automatic cut to boom, there she is. And they give you a few seconds to register. Yeah, exactly. You know? There's <laughs> like, nothing said right Hey, it's away. Audrey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but she looks stunning. She's mm-hmm. beautiful as always. Um, another thing that uh, caught me right away is that she is in this room that's like a library room, but it, there's wood everywhere, which seemed to me to be kind of like her original default setting at the lodge or something. Yeah. You know? I guess ultimately I'm under the impression that this is where they live. Yeah. Um, and, and when you say they, it's because... Talking about Charlie. Charlie yeah. is in this scene. And so... It's it. You hear fire crackling, and Audrey is standing there at at the uh, books, and um, you know she finally breaks the silence by saying, "I'm tired of waiting for the phone to ring, mm-hmm. and I want to go to the roadhouse to look for him." And then it cuts over to this character Charlie sitting at a desk. Yeah, right. And at first, she just says him, so we don't know who she's talking about. Right. right? I kind of thought they were intentionally trying to get us to say to think in our minds, "Oh, yeah, she's going to look for Richard." Yeah, maybe not though. Mm-hmm. Um, or rather. They pretty quickly tell us no because yeah. um, Charlie uh, mentions Billy. Yeah, he says, I want to find Billy just the same as you, mm-hmm. but I'm tired and it's late and I've got work to do. Look at the stacks of papers on my desk. Um, uh, he says he's sleepy, but he's also like an older, graying, bald little person mm-hmm. who um, just seems kind of monotonous and not the person you would expect to be married well, to. We ultimately Horn. get that. The slow unfolding, though. I mean, this scene was, I don't even know, bewildering in many yeah. ways because yeah. you get all of these names mm-hmm. thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Billy, Chuck, Charlie's a new character. Who's he? Someone named Tina, mm-hmm. right? And and we'll work through that all um, presently here. But um, Billy would seem to be the person who was mentioned at the end of part seven, Right. Yeah, with being running into the double R. Anybody seen Billy? Yeah. Okay, now Billy's been missing for a couple days. We learned that. Mm -hmm. But that's about the only thing that we can definitively connect what's going on here to. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's not even that definitive. No, because we haven't even even seen Billy. We don't know who Billy is. Yeah, exactly, right? But in this scene, uh, Charlie says, basically, I want to find Billy, too. So we know they both know Billy. They both want to find Billy. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, Audrey um, is basically kind of harsh to him. I got this idea, like, he's calm, mm-hmm. but she's kind of, like, poking think, at him, kind of mean. I think she tells him more than once that he has no fucking balls. Yeah. Yeah. And she refers to him as a thing 
a couple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And then there's the reveal of the husband is like, why yeah, do you, you say you shouldn't talk to your husband? Shouldn't like talk to your that. husband like that. But e- equally, that phrasing, there are a lot of weird phrasings. Yeah, as I some can, of that information. Yeah. Was and I can out. see both sides of it, where I'm like, oh, but you're kind of abusing her in your own way. Mm-hmm. But then you back out of it, and you're like, wait, what's the freaking arrangement here with you two? Well, because they mention a contract. Yeah, um, which seems to be in the context, right? So, so many questions. But Audrey mentions some paperwork she wants Charlie to sign. Yes. He says, I'm not sure about that. I want to have my lawyer look at it. Yeah, he says it, it seems fishy. To that, she responds saying, well, what if I have Paul take a look at it? Okay, what if so Paul who the fuck here? is Paul? So, yeah, who's Paul? But then Charlie responds by saying, are you talking about reneging on our contract? Yeah, exactly. And... And she says, basically, yeah. yeah, that's what I would do. That's what I am doing. Right, which the the phrasing of all of that makes it sound like the contract is separate and distinct from the marriage mm-hmm. contract. Right. Right. Um, because she says something about him having given up his rights as her husband. What's she talking about there? Yeah, he says, I've got rights as your husband. She said, well, you gave up those rights, and we don't know. What is What, what are happened? they talking about? And yeah. who's Paul? Right. So, okay. Who's Paul? Uh, who's Billy? Well, we know a little bit about Billy. Bing was looking for Billy, and Audrey tells us that she is in love with and has been fucking Billy. She tells yeah, Charlie she's kind of rubbing it in Charlie's face right at in the same face. time. Right. But this is so. interesting to me because Charlie has also just admitted he wants to find Billy too, as if he has some caring for Billy. Yeah. So Billy's like a mutual friend that Audrey is cheating on Charlie with, or something, or I something is big. Don't know. Yeah. We don't know. But and then Tina is mentioned, and then uh, Audrey says, well. Tina's the last person to see him alive. We find out Mm. that she learned that because Chuck told her, and she does admit that she can't stand to be in the same room as Tina. And she also says that Chuck is maybe certifiable. Yes. Right? Um, And she says also, you know, you were supposed to call Tina, like to Charlie, saying he's failed to do that too. Yeah, and he hasn't called her yet. And And Billy's been missing for two days. Yeah, Yeah. Billy's been missing for two days. Um, and she's still trying to get him to like get his coat on and go look for him at the roadhouse. Right. And I think as you were kind of um, gesturing towards, he's maybe sort of right here when he says, um, you know, we're not going to find him tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's already been missing for two days. Yeah. Where is he? You know, is he lost in the woods somewhere? It's going to be a moonless, dark night. We're probably not going to find him. Let me finish up my paperwork and sleep and we'll go out and light a day. Yeah. That's fairly rational. Yeah. Right? He seems very together, very rational, slightly monotonous, but she's the one that's kind of like accusatory and angry and kind of like losing her shit. Yeah. How do you know we won't find him? You look in your fucking crystal ball? Yeah, which I think you... Did you point out to me yeah. he's got actually got a crystal ball? Yeah, that's... I think it might be like a paperweight or something. It's, okay. you know, it's not like a full-size crystal ball like your um, psychic would have I or see. whatever. But he does seem to have some little like crystal that's ball funny. at his they desk. They put a cr- prop on the yeah. table just to make that make sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, but they're at, they're kind of at each other's throats. And then he says, well, you know what? I'll go with you. And he admits, he's like, let me get my jacket. And he's don't forget, I am very sleepy. <laughs> he mentions he's sleepy <laughs> several times. Several times. And just uh, Audrey's reactions to this, her facial reactions and her eyebrows and stuff. And she's really great. And I love seeing her even getting angry Mm -hmm. when she's like, get your jacket or whatever, you know. And it's really great to see the dynamism Mm -hmm. in a short scene. I love – I mean, it seems semi-long, but I love the fact that we're not throughout the whole episode cutting back and forth to to piece this together. We get it all at once. Such as it is. Okay, so – As it is, yeah. Before they leave, Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie says, okay, well, how about I try to call Tina now? Mm -hmm. Apparently, he was supposed to call Tina before. Yeah. Uh, He says, of course, she won't be able to talk 
if her husband's there. Right. Um, which for some reason you were saying you thought was Chuck. I'm not sure if I got really the impression it was Chuck. I don't know if I just invented that, that because know, his name was in proximity maybe, there. Maybe, um, maybe there's an inference to draw there. I'm not sure. But Chuck told Audrey that Tina was the last to see Billy. Right. Um, but he, and Charlie makes the call to Tina, but does not mention Audrey because they hate each other. Right. He also says he's going to pretend that Audrey's not there. Like I think even before he makes the call. Yes. Right. So the, the status of these relationships is really something we're we're thinking about i mm-hmm. think right what's going on so and then in essence on the phone with tina charlie <laughs> runs through basically a little bit of a script he says you oh, know i heard just... you were the last to see billy but he says chuck told me he dismisses mm-hmm. audrey from that statement um is it true and he says what i know a one-sided conversation right yeah indeed and you we've sure? all i mean i think we've all had the experience of listening to one person on the phone Right. Yeah, and then trying to piece together certain responses sound like they are answers to certain statements that right. you could get. And this is like quintessential of the most frustrating version of that because everything Charlie yes. says, it's just like, are you, I'm, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, and You're the whole sure? time as an audience, we're like, can we please hear How what did you find... is saying? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Unbelievable really? what you're telling yeah, me. Yes, it's really, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tina. Great. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. We'll try tomorrow. Try whatever mm-hmm. we don't know. He says, sorry again to call so late. And he says, unbelievable what you're telling me. Right. And he says, I won't. I promise. Right. Me too. Goodbye. Or just bye. And, and then, then Audrey is he all hangs of us. up. And Audrey <laughs> is the audience saying, right. what, what is You're not going to tell me what you said? And he just kind of like coldly looks at her and doesn't even say a single word. You're not going to tell me what you said? Right. Yeah, like, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you feel you feel the frustration because we don't know either, mm-hmm. even though Audrey was the impetus for him to call Tina. Yeah. And we get the idea that Tina has revealed some new information to Charlie that changes the whole scenario here. Right. And what possibly could he be learning from Tina? I think we skipped over. There's sort of so much here that we don't know. As I said, it's kind of bewildering. But um, Charlie did tell Audrey at one point a little earlier that um, – Chuck stole Billy's truck, and then Billy called the sheriff, and then Billy got his truck back and dropped charges. Yeah, didn't press okay. charges. He got his truck back, and supposedly mm-hmm. Chuck was the one that stole it from Billy. Mm-hmm. That's actually the part of the story Charlie tells Audrey that that Audrey then kind of looks up and then back at Charlie and says, okay, well then call Tina. So I, I got the feeling that getting that information was what made Audrey say, okay, let's call Tina now. It's, let's yeah. do it now. You know, which, um, you know, of course, we saw the whole thing with the truck in um, part seven that we might think about here. But I really don't think that that farmer, as he was credited in part seven, yeah. is any of these characters. It would be very weird if we'd seen him and he wasn't named in the credits of part seven. Correct. Just given how they've generally done this over the course of the season. Yeah, I could um, see how that could be explained but yeah. i don't think it's very likely you could do it and also we were talking about the logistics there i don't know if it quite fits mm-hmm. so in all likelihood i'm thinking this is an entirely different truck yeah I but just, uh, nevertheless uh, I, there's I two stolen sure. trucks yeah and at least you know and it also reminds me of pete martell's stolen truck at the end oh of, uh, yeah the log lady stole my truck yeah, yeah. so we have a couple yeah. of ex- this is the third example in the show that i can think of of like a stolen truck meaning something mm-hmm. um but yeah, nevertheless, it doesn't seem very likely that that is Billy. I don't think so. But then, I mean, this is just a matter of trying to make any type of guess about what possibly Tina could have been telling Charlie. Right. Was it something about this truck 
was it something about Billy? Who knows what it could be about Billy? There's some speculation um, it was something about Richard Horn. That it's maybe a possibility. Maybe Tina knew about Richard Horn hitting the little boy. And, of course, Richard Horn is on the lam now. Um, yeah. The, that, that might be something that Charlie would not want to tell Audrey for, for some, reason. some reason. And, again, that question we hit on before about, you know, Richard's parentage and so on. Okay, well, if Audrey is his mother... Well, then he's not mentioned here, right? So she wasn't mentioned in that earlier scene where Ben and Frank were talking about Richard. Richard's not mentioned in this scene with Audrey. I don't know. I'm I'm just confused. Yeah, it is a bit confusing. And I like the idea that, that we could be set up with a little misinformation just to surprise mm. us. So what we know for sure is that Ben Horn is the grandfather. Yep. What we also know is that Ben had more than one child. He also had Johnny. And Donna. And there's Donna, which we don't know 100%, but it seems since the end of uh, the original series that Ben has admitted that he is pretty much right. Donna's father. But it would get pretty convoluted. So I would agree this is a possibility. But Donna's missing from the scenario also. It would also make sense. Like, where's the parents if it was Donna's daughter? Mm-hmm. After it was discovered that Richard Horn was uh, in line with the Horn family. Yeah. So it is convoluted. It is confusing. We are uh, guessing a little bit of this, but it's exciting. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Sure. But I get the frustration thing that you're talking about <laughs> yeah. because... It's like they're bringing you right to the edge. It's like watching Dougie eat cherry pie Mm -hmm. and not become Cooper or something. No, I think this was definitely, I don't know, for me, this was a step further because I long ago gave up on the idea that Dougie was going to snap to to Cooper from some kind of, you know, sensual Yeah, I agree, but it's like they're dangling the carrot constantly, though, at the same time. Particularly, you know, you're not going to tell us what Tina said on the phone. Yeah, and then to hear Audrey's frustration screaming that, and that's exactly what we're screaming. Yeah, exactly. And then they make it worse, because then basically, you know, well, I guess there's a little bit before this, but the next thing I'm thinking of in connection to this is the last Roadhouse scene. Maybe we'll come back around to that. But we're just going to end up with even more names. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, I think we counted that in this episode, we're introduced to 11 new characters. like that, yeah. And that's quite a lot. And most of them we don't see. And most of them we don't see at all. Yeah, you only see a couple of them. Okay, so from... Finally seeing Audrey Horn take part in this narrative. Right, uh, so we go from there back to Diane. We jump um, back to Diane the at the Hotel Mayfair. Again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apparently the bar is closed, but she gets a drink anyway because she's Diane and she's so cool. Yeah, there's a couple things in this scene that I thought. <laughs> so she's served um, her drink specifically, mm-hmm. vodka Bartender on the rocks. knows it already. Bartender knows it. They've only it. been there a couple days probably. Yeah, and right? she doesn't have to mm-hmm. order it even. He mm-hmm. just brings it to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's smoking indoors where presumably you're usually not allowed to. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know about South Dakota law on that. but Well, but okay. the South Dakota is where Dave has told her before twice that she couldn't smoke indoors. In the cop shop. I don't yeah. know about in the bar. Well, in a hotel bar, yeah, to yeah. be fair. We didn't don't know. look that up. Um, there's also a person, like, vacuuming up in the background. It's uh-huh. kind of like after hours. It reminded me of the roadhouse shot with the sweeping. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Diane kind of gets what she wants is the feeling that I got out of this little scene. As she should. And she also, it um, reminds us of when she memorizes the coordinates. Right, because she's getting on her phone to look up those coordinates. And, and she um, goes through uh, kind of explaining to us how she uses this mnemonic device. Yeah, I guess that's how to take this. I it's think. a little weird because she says coordinates plus two. Coordinates plus two. Which is, I don't know how to interpret that exactly, but I think you're on the right track. Yeah, I think this is her mnemonic device. This is how she memorized it, looking at it very quickly. And it's mm-hmm. possibly like a method of the FBI or something. Maybe. I also think it's worth noting, fairly clear here, 
based on her um, outfit, the clothes she's wearing, uh, that this is actually occurring right after the events of the previous episode. Right. When she saw those coordinates. She's wearing the same outfit. And yep. I think they even give us a little flashback here where you can see that the clothes are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, they are messing with the timeline a little bit here, that apparently this actually happened before what we saw earlier. Yeah, and this yeah. and just the, the wine that came from the, the airplane, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, we still are quite aware that we're jet-setting in Cole's jet trying to figure out this case, that they've come by South Dakota, when, in fact, Diane thought she was on her way home. Mm-hmm. Remember, there's that spot where she says, you know, fuck you, Cole, I want to go home. Yeah. And so maybe it makes sense that she's only got one set of clothes and, and it could have been a couple of days have passed or whatnot. Well, she's had a couple of outfits, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think clearly in the uh, first time we see her in this episode, she's wearing um, one set of clothes. And then this time she's wearing the other, which is the same clothing she was wearing in right. um, uh, part 11. So, so we're still yeah. going down this path uh, in a linear way, it mm-hmm. seems. Um, the other thing that happens right now is um, she enters the coordinates in her phone, and it takes us in this Google Earth kind of app yeah. to Twin Peaks. Yeah, she zooms in on, on Twin Peaks. Now, that's a little odd because, you know, if you recall from Part 11, um, when Cole asks Albert where those coordinates um, are, and Albert starts saying they point to a small town in the north of gets cut off interrupted by right again i thought he was gonna say northwest but still yeah if it's twin peaks they know twin peaks Mm -hmm. right so it would be a little weird there too right for albert to say unless albert was setting up one of his famous jokes well it could have been that that. the other thing is that diane was in the room during that time Mm -hmm. so that could have had some that could have changed to how albert was going to say it Mm mm-hmm um, or, yeah, like you say, one of Albert jokes, it could have been one of his little buildups. It was like, a little town you might have heard of called Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, That's something what I was saying. like, like that. Because Diane's familiar with Twin Peaks, too. So it would have to be like, this is one way it could be that Albert was going to say it points to a little town in the Northwest or whatever. And then, you know, Gordon says, you know, Twin Peaks. And he goes, well, it's not Spokane or something like that. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, Again, we talked about that last week. It was weird how they cut that off, and we talked about whether there's something going on there about trying to misdirect Diane. Right. And I think maybe there is still, even with this. Maybe they knew that Diane was going to get those coordinates and plug them in and see that it was Twin Peaks, and maybe it's actually not Twin Peaks. Maybe. Yeah, I don't also know. in the photo, the last numbers of the coordinates are blurred. Mm-hmm. And when Diane says coordinates plus two, mm-hmm. I kind of got the feeling of like, wait, is there... Some inac- inaccuracy. Do you know what those last two digits are? Because they're blurred. You might be saying, enter this plus two. I don't know. But either yeah. way, it comes up with Twin Peaks on her phone, and we hear the tone. Mm-hmm. The tone that Beverly and Ben were hearing in the lodge, I think. Mm. The same tone is kind of like a higher-pitched tone that you hear. Interesting. I didn't notice that or didn't make the connection. Mm-hmm. So okay. um, as that's happening, she's looking at Twin Peaks on a map. And it's also kind of the this feeling of like, okay, so things are converging and we're all going to – every all these characters are going to have to converge on Twin Peaks pretty soon. Yeah, which is what I've been expecting. Yeah. So I'm really unsure yep. whether – you know did they feed Diane false information here or not? I'm really unsure because mm-hmm. I, I kind of did think we were all going to be led back to Twin Peaks. Well, so Cole we'll also see. says, you know, we're, we're making you a deputy temporarily because we need you. Mm-hmm. And so if it was just trying to track and trace – to get information, I I could understand why they would say, okay, we'll keep you close so we can watch you. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, he does say, I, we need you. And maybe 
regardless of their level of trust for her, she's more of a key to this whole puzzle than maybe we understand. Yeah, maybe. maybe he does actually need her to be along with them. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so uh, we get our final transition uh, over the forest shot that's happening. Yeah. One last one. Love these dark woods shots. Um, yeah, the dark woods, the mist, the feeling, and it's also the idea like, okay, w- this is what we're talking about. The area mm-hmm. in the forest around Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It's not the town itself. It's the woods. It's the woods mm-hmm. around the town that's really the problem. Mm-hmm. And then we get to, um, you know, our favorite characters everyone's been waiting for. Yeah, Natalie and Abby. I've been from number one episode. I've been like, please show yeah, trick. Please. Oh yeah. God. And uh, so we go back Where's to the Where's Angela? Uh, and the chromatics are playing again this time. Yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we were talking before how this is the second time we've had a recurring act play at the Roadhouse. Right. We had two episodes with Arvo Simone. Yes. Previously, there's the second episode with the chromatics. Yeah, and um, don't know that we have much to do with that. Um, but it's maybe worth noting in the duality or the repetition anytime you see a motif repeated or whatever. But I was yeah. thinking another thing we're seeing repeated is that all the action at the Roadhouse always takes place at the same booth. Seems like it to me. I it think that that's right. Like it. It seems I think like it's so. always the same booth. Yeah. yeah. And so here we go back to the chromatics again. Um, and we go back to this booth again where mm-hmm. we see two young ladies sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the credits later, you find out they're Natalie and Abby. Yep. Um, and Natalie and Abby are sitting there talking about Angela, Clark, and Mary. And the question is, where's mm-hmm. Angela? Um, she's with Clark, really, because Clark and Mary were here together two nights ago yeah, making out Abby in the car. saw them making out. And a um, lot of people saw them making out. Um, and Angela would freak because she hates Mary, too. Natalie also says she hates Mary. And Angela is getting really serious about Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela is off her meds now. She's been dreaming about Clark, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope Clark doesn't fuck it up because Angela is on the edge. Wouldn't you be, too, and, losing your mom like wouldn't that? Wouldn't you be, too, losing your mom like mm-hmm. that? So here's yet again. It's mm-hmm. like the fifth or sixth time we've got somebody losing a parent or a child mm-hmm. in the story. So, again, who is Angela? Well, we don't know who any of these people are. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary, you know, if you remember, there was a mention of a Mary in that earlier scene with Sylvia and Johnny running through the house. Yeah, Mary's the one that let Johnny out of his room. Apparently, but we don't see her. Right. There was a previous mention of um, Mary Ann's in that scene with Red Red. and Richard. Mm -hmm. But, again, we, we don't know who any of these people are, really. Yeah, and then right in this kind of climactic moment of discussing the gossip that's local. Yeah, here comes Trick. Here comes Trick, who jumps into the booth, kind mm-hmm. of frightening everybody, yeah. myself included, um, and says he's just been driven off of the road, and he had like a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. He almost hit a tree. He's freaking out. He's upset. And he's going off. He says something about how he ought to kill that motherfucker. Yeah, or it would like make that. him want to kill this guy. Yeah, and his hand is shaking too, right? Yeah, Trick's hand is shaking, which of course might make us think about other shaking hands. We saw Gordon shaking hand. Mm-hmm. Cat on a hot tin roof. Yeah, we had the shaking hands in the original run. Um, I don't know here, though. I do kind of think maybe it's because he just had this uh, experience on the road. Maybe it's just that. Yeah, and that's all it is. And But that brings up a good point in this. Are there these connections? Or yeah. knowing that we're looking for these connections, Frost and Lynch are kind of like playing off of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, hey, no, calm down. It's just this is how it was. Right, but the I guy also was like nervous that, and shaking. That's you know, it. There's no connection. There's all kinds of those uh, dualities, like we've talked about too, where you'll have something that's happening, you know, just in sort of ordinary, ordinary reality. Yeah, that does kind of parallel or resonate something that's spookier. Yeah, right. So is the shaking hand just because he's freaked out because he almost got run off the road? I think probably. Right. 
but then we're, st- we're, we're, we're still thinking about others shaking hands. And then I, um, I'm going to get a beer. You want one, of course. Yeah, I obviously. Like new, yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, you need a beer. But both ladies at the table actually have full Heinekens. Right. That's what I thought was kind of funny about it. He <laughs> so, says to Natalie, who I start to gather as maybe, you know, his um, girlfriend or something like that. Yeah, right. He's like, you want one, of course. Yeah. Right. Um, and then in their little gossipy thing, he goes to get beer. And then it's mentioned like, hey, isn't he on house arrest? Well, not <laughs> Which, anymore. He's a no, free man. No, that's behind him now. Yeah. And he's a free man. And they kind of wink at each other. Oh, free man. Whoopee. Whoopee. I love the whoopee, actually. Yeah, what is Yeah. Particularly on the second watch, yeah. I decided this is one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Just goes, whoopee. Whoopee. And you wonder how like authentic a, it is, or is it sarcastic? Yeah, and there's a kind of, you know, I really got to thinking that um, Natalie here is uh, Canadian, probably. Yeah. It's just the way that she says, whoopee in particular. Yeah. And we know they're in proximity to Canada, so. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the traditional conservative use of the term whoopee as sex. Like, hey, you guys going to mm. make whoopee later yeah like if you used to watch family feud they used to always have to say this whoopee and then what was it's the not other? the case anymore but back in the 80s they couldn't yep. say uh sex or anything they have to say make whoopee yeah there was yeah. many shows they did it on that yeah. the, the one prominent one they would use a dozen times per episode would was the was it the dating game the or? match game probably it was the one where they would have like uh where you fill in I the blank like even and the celebrities Dick you have to clark match. or something oh. would host it oh, and it would be like so many how well do you know your spouse Oh, the newlywed game. The newlywed game. Yeah. yeah I was like, yeah. now when you guys are making whoopee. When whoopy, you're making whoopee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't think, I, I did, I read this here more along the lines of that kind of, um, you know, sarcastic sarcasm. or ironic. Yeah. Like, whoopee. Yeah. Like, yeah. rather the than The fact that he's reference. a free man, but they said free, but they're really, they're talking about house arrest. So all that means, mm-hmm. you know, it means, oh, he can leave the house now. Great. I'm so excited that he can come jumping into the booth here at the roadhouse with me <laughs> now, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so, and you do. It makes you wonder about that whole relationship, what's going on with it, um, and the fact that he's a free man. And mm-hmm. I think that there's something in the theme of all of this about Cooper becoming free or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the imprisoned mm-hmm. Mr. Freedom, C trying you know? to become free. Yeah, this idea of freedom and you what know, it means. Seven o'clock, do you know where your freedom is? Mm-hmm. And then maybe the whoopee is kind of, Subtly suggesting, you know, like, yeah, you're free. So what? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. maybe you're you're free insofar as you aren't in prison, you aren't in house arrest, but, like, are you really free? Yeah, what are you going to yeah. do with that? Yeah. yeah. But then also something about the character name just being Trick. Yeah. Like, are are you a Trick? Are you, I you don't know, know. There's also the term Trick, you know, like the prostitutes were used to describe, yeah, yeah um, a client. Um, and then there's, like, the trickster figure. Or mm-hmm. just like tricking your audience in general. I don't know. I just thought it stuck out because it's a very strange uh, name. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I was like balled up laughing by the time we mentioned house arrest because yeah. of the soap opera thing again. Yeah, This really is like, okay, don't forget we're watching uh, soap opera here. And so it's got to be loaded with all this melodramatic like m- uh, devices. And themes about in- infidelity, right? Mm-hmm. And they're talking about people we don't know, but we certainly... Could connect that sort of thematically to what we've seen previously with Becky and Steven. I and did Gersten think of Becky and, and Steven that. and Gersten mm-hmm. for sure because she said, you know, Angela's going to lose her. She's going to freak out. And mm-hmm. last thing we saw with Becky was her freaking out. Yeah. And of course, it was about her man being taken by another woman or whatever, yeah. which is exactly what they're describing in their gossip. And what happened to Angela's mother? And what happened to Angela's Inquiring mother? Inquiring yeah. minds want to know. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't know about that, but. You know, the more we go into the show since Bill Hastings, uh, the scene admitting about the zone and the parallel mm-hmm. universe theory and stuff like that, again, uh, another reason why seeing the chromatics again 
kind of raised an eyebrow for me. Yeah. I started thinking about kind of parallel universe theory and like time loops and things mm-hmm. like that. And the more, the closer we get to October 1st, which is only a couple of days away. Yeah. Are we approaching like the the rules, the fabric of reality itself is breaking down in this area? I more and more think that we're headed in the direction of something like that. But I'm not yeah. sure what, like I have the feeling that it's going to be a little bit more complicated even than your, you know, standard kind of parallel universe trope or whatever. Sure. Um, but that can get so convoluted so quickly. I could see how yeah. if they're saying, okay, how do we tell this story in a small town with these weird crimes and criminals running around? Um, if it's, you know, like in the last episode, I was thinking like, oh, are we headed toward the apocalypse of the four horsemen, <laughs> yeah, like with right. what Bobby witnesses, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, with this, it kind of reinforces that like, the threads are falling apart. Like reality is breaking down somehow. And are we witnessing the same moment again, but it's three different people this time because that's how the dice were rolled this time or. Yeah. And you know, we talked about um, this phrase from Bill Hastings fake blog thing about splintering time. Yeah. Um, There's also this um, piece I read on the 25 years later site about time quake or something like this. Right. This is kind of interesting way of looking at it. Maybe in terms of like, ripple effects or seismic effects like i think something's going on with time yeah i'm just not quite sure what right and whatever it is i think it's going to be really complicated and probably we're going to have to do some interpretive work to get there even at the end of the day yeah and i love how a quasi funny soap opera (laughs) can jump into sci-fi land and suddenly be explaining parallel universe theory to the masses Mm -hmm. like Something about like how we're like mixing together all these uh, disparate ideas in this show is just lovely. I love it. No, like I said, invitation to love is the real reality. <laughs> yeah, it could be invitation it's to love. It's all inverted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, at the end of this episode, real quick, is there anything about the uh, song itself? Because we've been kind of analyzing lyrics uh, Well, and there stuff. aren't lyrics, right? The song's mm-hmm. called Saturday. I don't know if we want to make anything of that. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, if... Uh, Dave well, Saturn. Man, Day of Saturn. Also, <laughs> apparently, if we are in 2016, as I think at least the Buckhorn storyline is, for reasons yeah. I think we've mentioned before, right? Um, Saturday, or sorry, October 1st would be a Saturday. Hmm. Um, yeah, and if you're within know. a week shot of that date, and saying Saturday means that date that's coming, you know? Yeah, I don't know. So if, they're, if the Chromatics are there singing Saturday, the very next Saturday that comes might be that first there was also something about the song, and I couldn't quite pin it down. I don't know if you have this experience at all, but something about the chord progression sounded very familiar to me. Was I this actually just me? thought so, too, but yeah. I never ended up with an answer. I couldn't place it, really. I couldn't find an answer either. I was sort of searching through my mind. It's a very hard thing to try to do internet research on, right? Yep. When you're just thinking like that, those chords sound like a similar progression I to totally some other song. I totally went through this last week's episode, episode yeah. 11, with the piano player. <laughs> oh, yeah, with the Dido song. And trying, yeah, yeah, and it was, and was to great. me, it came up as this Dido song. It was called Thank You or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I really felt like I was getting the, the musical quote from that Dido song. And yeah. then, I was it was funny because we had to have it. a back and forth about that, like you were singing it to me. And yeah, then and then like, you said, I was like, oh, that's what, you're, that's what you're doing. And yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, weird. Okay, let me look that up. And <laughs> yeah. I heard it. And then, yeah, that's the chord progression yeah. I thought I was hearing. But I'm not, yeah. And mm. then, of course, Dido is uh, mentioned earlier on in the return. Yes, yeah, so you read a Dido. Yeah. So, so um, I mean, but does, does Dido Don't know about really that connection, have, right? It's not we went, about the chocolate bunny. No, exactly. We went back and we listened to the piano music and the Dido song. We're like, yeah. So, But the idea being that, 
that there's these uh, impressions that are being yeah, made are being that evoked. trigger so many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a meta way, it could be everything you've learned about from pop culture over the last 25 years. In a narrative way, it can be everything you've learned from this story. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's like you said, it evokes a lot, but it, it's pulling from thousands of references that you've already given me mm-hmm. between the characters and the real life actors and the show and the run of the show and you know all of this. So just mentioning one little thing now in the return. Mm. is really referencing like 25 different things. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, so how to basically pull all that together, you almost have to decide your own narrative at a certain point mm-hmm. as to what you believe is going on. Is it just, just a murder story? Or are you the science fiction uh, addict that's going to sit around and say, oh, no, there's definitely aliens doing all this. <laughs> I think there's definitely you know? something. And, yeah. there's, and we know there's something, mm-hmm. but it could be... Literally, UFO saucers landed in the woods around Twin Peaks. <laughs> I like the idea of the post-apocalyptic thing or the mm. apocalypse coming mm. kind of thing, the disease and the turmoil and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the idea that, oh, wait, it's not aliens. It's interdimensional species. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's the direction that we're going toward. And mm-hmm. when you consider the Black Lodge and these other places that you can slip into another dimension, to me, honestly, that's almost scarier than outer space aliens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't you can't even trust the reality that's right in your current yeah. vicinity. No, and I definitely think we're going in that direction. Also talking about time again and the experience of time in the lodge space and so on and so forth and the weirdness of that. So some notion of beings that live in five dimensions or something like that right. seems to fit better with um, what they're thinking about here. Right. Yep. So although at the end of this episode, I kind of was scratching my head and then I got online and I was looking a lot of people displeased and a lot of people kind of dumbfounded. And like you're saying, there's this sense of frustration Mm -hmm. with not getting what you kind of expect to get every week at this point. Mm -hmm. When I look back on it, I feel I mean, I love the episode. I feel like there's a lot of exposition that happened and and there's a lot of moments that were those unsettling moments like, oh, that was your expectation. Watch me crash that. Yeah. And yet I'm still delivering. You still got Audrey Horn that you've Mm -hmm. been waiting for. And Again, I'm reminded of this kind of thing that we keep bringing up and talking about is, is David Lynch presenting something strange here or is this just reality? And it's up to us to cope with reality being, quote unquote, well, yeah, strange. I mean, particularly, you know, go back to the scene with Audrey and Charlie. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, Everyone has had that experience, I think. Yeah. Of hearing someone on the phone mm-hmm. and only hearing one side mm-hmm. and wondering what the other person is saying mm-hmm. and never finding and out. never finding out that's yeah. life that's real you know yeah whereas tv shows movies often they give us the information yeah you know but life has all those kinds of you know um sageras or voids or whatever yeah, and just, just unexpected outcomes yeah. it's also life that the you know the gorgeous girl in high school that was you know all the guys were fawning over mm-hmm. eventually chooses some contractual thing where she's <laughs> You know, she becomes yeah. bitter, and then she's super angry, and, you know, so... Well, hopefully it doesn't happen to all the gorgeous women, but, yeah. Well, of course, but you know what I'm... I'm <laughs> no, I know what you mean. ...alluding yeah. to this is the Audrey exactly. that you didn't expect to right. see, you know, and yet um, it's, in some sense, it feels a lot more real that this is what Audrey would have become, knowing, mm-hmm. like, the father she came from, et cetera, mm-hmm. and, the, and one of her good friends or whatever that was murdered in high school, et cetera. Like, mm-hmm. there's this real trauma that's attached to all of these characters in this right. town. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're getting is not the same characters, but Lynch and Frost are smart enough to say, no, these are the same characters after the trauma and 25 years yeah. of festering and coping and changing. And mm-hmm. so that's not what we wanted, what we wa- quote unquote wanted. What mm-hmm. we wanted was the illusory fairy tale Hollywood, oh, show me my character, show me my yeah. Cooper again. But now. 
as if it's my Cooper. But mm-hmm. Lynch and Frost are saying, no, these characters live and breathe and they age and they suffer. Yeah. They're not your characters. Yeah. And I think that's a really profoundly smart thing to do and to express. But even more so, if you can pull it off, mm-hmm. then that's just amazing. And here I am witnessing them. They're pulling that off. They're breaking all the rules of doing like a serial television right. show. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm still totally addicted to it and can't wait to see what happens next. The one episode that everybody's like, oh, what a letdown is still like the bar is still so much higher than <laughs> yeah. everything else, yeah. you know, and it's mm-hmm. a letdown because we want to. Well, I was just, you know, I most. was thinking, man, it's, it's been you know, going to the episode. I was thinking, well, we OK, we haven't seen Mr. C since part nine. Yeah. We have to see him tonight. Nope. Yep. So, I mean, there was that element in my experience where I was right. like, I really I want to get back to. And then we don't even get. Dougie, I mean, just the, the the pushing of um, Kyle McLaughlin to the margins, yeah, you know, was. Um, but yeah, I think for what it is, it works. It's yeah. growing on me. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, I love it. I can't wait to see what happens next episode, and uh, we'll be here for that episode. That's going to be episode thirteen coming up mm-hmm. next week. Um, here we are. It's actually winding sort of down. We've got well, four more we, episodes, and then the finale. Are we entering into the third act? I yeah. don't know. We're, we're sort of two thirds. Well, through. that's what I think things are converging. Mm-hmm. I think this episode specifically was one of those episodes of like, oh, every, anything we need to get out of the way before we light the firecracker, uh-huh. let's do that now. Well, and I also think that I'm increasingly thinking that the finale is going to be on October 1st and 2nd. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. We're, just, we're creeping ahead so slowly. Yep. Um, and that makes a lot those of sense. dates are certainly going to be significant. Mm-hmm. So. I don't expect to see that until near the end, mm-hmm. whatever goes down then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what a funny episode, but uh, quite dark at some points too. And lots of exposition, but we got a couple of characters that we have been waiting to see. And we got 11 new characters that we mm-hmm. didn't know about. You can't wait to learn more about and Angela we, and Clark. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know who these people are. And also uh, Billy and mm-hmm. Tina. I got to find out what's up with Billy and uh, is Audrey yeah. really in love with him? We'll find out more on episode 13 of Twin Peaks, The Return. (laughs) So um, really awesome. Cameron, always a pleasure to talk to you about this stuff, man. Yeah, you too, Mike. (laughs) 